Thank you. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Abhidravati Mam Isha Shara Tapta Ayasha Vibho Kaman Dehatu Mam Natnata Ma Me Garba Nipatyatam Adhidravatimam Isham Sarastaptash Yasovibu Kaman Dahatumam Nata Mamegarbo Nipat Yatam Abhidravati Mamisha Sarah's Tapta Yasobibu Kamandahatu Mam Nata Mame Garbo Nipat Yatam Abhidravati, coming towards, Mam, me, Isha, O Lord, Sarah, the arrow, Tapta, fiery, Ayasha, iron, Vipo, O great one, Kaman, desire, Dehatu, let it burn. Mom, may. Nata, O protector. Ma, not. May, my. Garba, embryo. Nipatyatam, be aborted. Translation. Oh, my Lord, you are all-powerful. A fiery iron arrow is coming towards me fast, my Lord. Let it burn me personally, if you so desire. But please do not let it burn and abort my embryo. Please do me this favor, my Lord. Please repeat. Oh, my Lord, you are all-powerful. A fiery iron arrow is coming towards me fast. My Lord, let it burn me personally. If you so desire. But please do not let it burn and abort my embryo. Please do me this favor, my Lord. Report. This incident took place after the death of Abhimanyu, the husband of Uttara. Abhimanyu's widow, Uttara, should have followed the path of her husband, but because she was pregnant 
Maharash Parikhit, a great devotee was, of the Lord, was lying in embryo. She was responsible for his protection. The mother of a child has a great responsibility in giving all protection to the child. And therefore, Uttara was not ashamed to express this frankly before Lord Krishna. Uttara was the daughter of a great king, the wife of a great hero, and student of a great devotee. And later, she was the mother of a good king also. She was fortunate in every respect. So this was a a time when people uh, were not accustomed to aborting the child like we are today. In today's age, there's a lot of abortions. Our Tamananda Prabhu gives class sometimes, and he he knows a lot all these figures about exactly how many hundreds of thousands of abortions there are every single year. Uh, whatever the number is, you know, one is too many. And in this age of Kali, we call it a dense darkness of ignorance. So in, in Kali Yuga, there's like an ocean of ignorance that that people are uh, subjected to. And one of them is that uh, an abortion is not killing a child. It's just a choice. There's no such thing as <laughs> as as a murder in this case. It's 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 simply people making making choices. And then some then there's some people a little more conservative. Uh, some people have a little understanding that it's not a choice, it's a child. Right? Sometimes you see, <laughs> we preach to each other through bumper stickers in this country. So some, sometimes you see a, you know, a bumper sticker that'll say that uh, something about Planned Parenthood and every woman should have their choice. And then another bumper sticker will say that, no, it's not a choice, it's a child. So, in this way, knowledge is disseminated through little bumper stickers on the back of people's cars where they can give their opinion. So everybody has some kind of opinion, and uh, the culmination of all these different opinions becomes uh, uh, news or information, in today's information society. <coughs> so we have a, a different source of information here. We're reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, which was uh, in this dense darkness of the age of Kali, the Srimad Bhagavatam arose just after the departure of Lord Krishna. It's as brilliant as the sun, and it illuminates this darkness, dense darkness of the age of Kali with knowledge. And the first knowledge is that how we're not the body, how we're a spirit soul. I remember when I, I was 16 years old and I came to the Portland Hare Krishna temple because uh, I had a little mantra card. And when I got there then, it was such a great experience. And I realized that this is actually what I've been looking for my whole life. <laughs> I, I was brought up as a Christian and 
Jesus Christ, Prabhupada said that Jesus Christ is our guru. Jesus Christ is a pure devotee of Krishna. And he went to India and stayed in Jagannath Puri and learned, learned the science of bhakti yoga and danced in front of Lord Jagannath. It's kind of interesting that they, the Christians, they present this history, but they, they make it sound like Jesus went to India and became disgusted with the caste system. And therefore, he didn't uh, become a, a Hindu, as they call it. You know. Well, this was the year, uh, the year zero, zero, 0020 or something. You know, this is a long time ago. <laughs> right now it's 2021. So this, this happened about 2,000 years ago, but in the year 21, that Jesus Christ was uh, going back. He went back and he took the, went with the spice routes to, to India. And when he got there, he stayed in Jagannath Puri. So, like I said, the Christians tried to make it look like, you know, he, he, he just went and observed and then he, he, uh, came back and then he, he, he rejected Hinduism, which actually all of us do because, uh, of what's called Hinduism. Prabhupada said that the culminate in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, I read that the culmination of different Mayavadi concepts culminates into what we now call the Hindu religion. There's actually no such thing as a Hindu. and uh, We're not Hindus because there's really, there's, you can read this whole Srimad Bhagavatam and you're not going to find the word Hindu in any of the verses because it's a name made up by the Muslims about people who were on the other side of the Indus River on the, uh, basically India. Um, Afghanistan, was a part of the Vedic Empire. Uh, Gandhari, the great grandmother of King Pariket, who we're reading about today, she's her father was the king of uh, Kandahar, uh, Hel- Helmand par- Province in Afghanistan. So Kandahar was uh, Gandhari is named after her father, King Gandhar, Gandhar, which is in the town of Gandha- Kandahar in Afghanistan is named after uh, Gandhari's father, the king. So that was all part of uh, India at one time. In fact, everything was part of India at one time. If you go back uh, when Maharaj Yudhisthira, back to the story here that we're reading about King Kritu, the uh, entire world was under the rule of, they had a one-world order. <laughs> and it was under Maharaj Yudhisthira at the time. This is the Battle of Kurukshetra was over, and Maharaj Yudhisthira became uh, the king of the Vedic Empire, the the, the uh, Bharat Varsha, it was called. And this spread all over the whole world. You can still see this. Uh, I used to live in the Philippines for a while, and in that part of the world, you can see uh, tons of evidence of the of of when india used to rule this part of the world uh, you go to cambodia and you see something that's uh, quite extraordinary uh, and what's the uh, 
biggest temple of Lord Vishnu in the world. Where? Question. What is the biggest Vishnu temple in the world? And where is it located? We're all here worshipers of Lord Vishnu. So we should all know. Where is it? What's this place? Tirupati. The answer, Angkor Wat in Cambodia. The Angkor Wat temple is the biggest Vishnu temple in the world. It's huge. It covers about a couple of miles square. It's gigantic. You can look at it on, uh, online. That's the biggest temple in the world. The vicious, vicious, biggest Vishnu temple in the world. <laughs> and also, um, in the Philippines, they have a lot of Sanskrit words in the, in the language, like mata, meaning I. And uh, their history is that there was a king from India, uh, and that he was he was uh, res- situated in Manila. And in this way, Maharaj Yudhisthira, he, there was all these different kings all over the world. And Maharaj Yudhisthira, as the emperor of the world, would have to uh, collect taxes or conquer any king that, that uh, was against his authority. So, as part of that Vedic empire was Afghanistan. And then there's a river called the Indus River, and on the other side... The Muslims call those people Hindus or Hindus. So when Lord Jesus Christ went to Jagannath Puri, we know that he saw Lord Jagannath and danced in ecstasy and, and heard the, the message of, of, of the Vedas. So he, he brought that back to the Middle East, and he t- tried to explain to people as much as possible about loving God and how we're not the body. Jesus Christ himself was a, a great yogi. He, he fasted for 40 days. I remember when I read that in the Bible, I thought he, he had to be a vegetarian. Because you really, you know, people who fast for 40 days have to be vegetarian in the first place. You wouldn't even think about fasting if you weren't. Uh, I became a Both to vegetarianism through a book called Rational Fasting by Arnold Enhart. And he was, uh, he used to preach about being vegetarian, the importance of fasting sometimes and, and, uh, cleansing your body, you know. Like today's Akadasi, some, some devotees will be, uh, following near Jala Akadasi. Some, some of us won't, will be eating, uh, no grains and beans, but there's some devotees who won't eat at all today. So, that that kind of fasting and, and self purification is uh, it goes well with, with vegetarianism. It's a basic concept of morality that you don't uh, kill to eat. You know, you can eat apples that just fall off the tree. You know, why would you have to go kill a cow to, to eat something? So Jesus Christ was a a big influence on my life because he was always preaching to me through the Bible. But but then my church and the people that I was going to church with were always disappointing me because they weren't. Uh, well, one thing big thing was that, uh, that they were meat eaters, and that was really disappointing. 
because I knew that Jesus Christ had to be a vegetarian and I just felt like a, you know, vegetarianism was, was certainly part of the Bible, you know. I, like p- different pe- people would read the Bible, they get different meanings out of it because there's no parampara system. So the knowledge is kind of just handed from one person to another and then re-explained and revisioned and, you know, so they, they have a, they don't really have a clear concept of the difference between the body and the self and then they don't seem to know, they don't recognize vegetarianism as being important. Uh, we were listening to Prabhupada Nectar within the last couple of days and Prabhupada met with some priest in, uh, in France and the priest tried to tell, Prabhupada said that, you know, as Vaishnavas, we don't, we don't eat meat and have, or have illicit sex, you know, as devotees of God. So then the, the priest was saying to Prabhupada, well, that's just external, you know, what, what does meat eating have to do with anything? Well, let's, 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 let's go on to higher topics. We want higher topics. And Prabhupada said, well, if we can't finish basic topics, we can't go on to higher topics. Yeah. So, in this way, they have a like a, a bloody religion. I read in the Bible that God won't accept prayers from people who have blood on their hands, and uh, that God gave us the herb, the, the seed giving herb and the plants and vegetables as fruit as as food unto you, as mentioned in Genesis. So. I was a little disappointed with this, with with my church for not recognizing uh, that the importance of vegetarianism. So I was I went to church that one morning, and uh, I I looked up to the sky and I just prayed, God, could you please reveal yourself to me because I I, I want to find out about you, but I'm, somehow I'm just not learning much. You know? And I looked in the sky and saw a light was beyond the uh, dark coverings of this universe. I had a little glimpse of the Ramajoyti. And then I had this card, a little mantra card, that had the Hare, that had this mantra. It said, please chant, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Then it said, you know, to come to a feast on Sundays. It had the address there. So... I was pretty excited about this. I asked somebody on the street if uh, if they served meat at the at this place, this Hare Krishna place. I think he was trying to encourage me, so he goes, "Yeah, sure, they do anything you want, you know, chicken, pork." And I said, "Well, that doesn't sound good, you know." So I, I was a little hesitant to go to the temple because I had, I didn't know it was vegetarian. But when I got there. Uh, Finally, I did manage to make it there, and then I got into the, it, this devotee said to me, uh, leave your shoes out here. So I, I looked at this, uh, they had a stack, they had a shoe rack that was about eight feet tall, and it was completely filled with shoes from the top to the bottom. I've never seen so many shoes, even in a shoe store, I'd never seen that many shoes. And uh, she said, come on in, and then I just, the, the atmosphere of the Portland Temple is just, it just smelled like God. When I came in, it, it, there was the incense and, the, and the, the smell of the ghee from the cook from the kitchen. Back then, there was no oil in a 
you know, Iskon's kitchen. Everything was ghee. The Portland Temple was a small place, but it had uh, these 15-gallon drums of ghee that were filled to the top, like six or seven of those, and some big, gigantic walks that were also completely filled with ghee. I mean, there's enough ghee to do an ostomata sacrifice in that kitchen. And there was uh, such this, this scent, you know, that came from there that the smell was so good. And then they, uh, Dina Bandu and Akuti, Akuti would uh, make a chance and then take a little ghee and throw in a pile of chili peppers and ginger. That was really purifying. If you could breathe that without coughing, it was, it was like you could just clean out your whole lungs, you know. <laughs> so uh, the cleansing from coming from from vegetarianism and, and fasting, that Jesus Christ was tapped into that. So I went to, so I, the first thing I learned about was how we're not this body. Uh, Dina Bandu Prabhu gave the Sunday Feast Lecture, and he said that we're not the body, that we're a spirit soul, we're a self with a self. There's a difference between the body and the self. And he said that the uh, body's changing. It goes through different six transformations, you know. And we always look in the mirror and we always say, this is me, but the body keeps on changing. So what is what is me that keeps on, that stays the same? You know, there's, it's like, uh, you know, you used to have a little baby boy's body. Now you have like a young man's body, and later on you'll have an old man's body, and the body will change like that. You know, it's born, it grows, it reproduces, it dwindles, it dies, and then it goes into oblivion. But this person's always the same. We're always eternal. Who's that me that keep, that stays alive? So that was an interesting concept difference between the body and the self. Uh, there's always, in, in Christianity, I'd learned that, there, you know, that there is such thing as a soul. You know, we would say, I was taught as a little boy that at, when you go to bed, you should have a little prayer that says, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the soul, my, I pray thy Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray thy Lord my soul to take. So there's a little concept of the soul. So who, but Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, they take it to the point where it's, there's no, really no connection with the body and, and the soul. And except that the, the, the connection that we give it by our consciousness, by our bodily consciousness. Um, we were reading last night uh, on the Zoom conference. Every night we have a Zoom conference. Uh, this got started because of the pandemic, but we just kept going. It's about seven or eight devotees that hear Srimad Bhagavatam between around 7.15 to 8.15 at night. Uh, we call and go on Zoom, put in a password, and and then uh, we hear Srimad Bhagavatam. We've, we've been through the, since I've been on the conference, we've read the whole third canto, and now we're almost done with the fourth canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. And there's a lot of talk about how the body and the soul are different and how the living entity comes into the material world due to our desires to enjoy the material energy. And 
by constantly striving, making plans to be happy in the material world, we end up having to undergo all these different miseries that come with the material body. Uh, one time I was in class in New York, and I and Srila Prabhupada was giving class, and I don't remember too much of the class, but there's one thing he said that I've never forgotten. Was that he said this material body is the source of all of our miseries. And I was thinking back then, I was 18 years old when he, when he was giving that class, and I, I was able to think about different miseries I had in my back, and, and uh, it just made so much sense. I thought I was trying to think about any misery that I'm undergoing that's not the body, but Prabhupada says all of our miseries come from this material body. So all of them. So if it wasn't if we weren't encaged in the material body that's subject to birth, death, old age and disease and then we wouldn't have to suffer. We wouldn't be in anguish and lamentation. In uh, we were reading about how sometimes people enjoy in the material world, but a lot of times they don't enjoy. Uh, they get what they want, and then they're not happy with it, or they they don't want to lose it, but they do lose it. You know, everything goes; all things must pass, and then you have a uh, different miseries that come with the body. Uh, what are the threefold miseries? Adi Devik, Adi Bodik, Adi Atmik. Miseries that come from the body and the mind, the miseries that come from other people, other living entities, the miseries that come from the weather. <laughs> That's always, especially in Texas. Texas, you hardly ever have a really nice day. It's usually too hot or too cold. Or it's blazing hot outside, and then you go inside and it's freezing cold. Santa's Village, Yukon, because of the air conditioning. So in this way, there's always these miseries that come from different places. And then there's the hunger, thirst, lamentation. Lamentation is a real problem. It's not unusual uh, for someone to spend hours just lamenting about what happened, what went wrong, about, <laughs> you know, the car accident they were in when they were a child and and how their girlfriend left them and, you know, after she, he, he gave her heart. And then, uh, you know, unlimited, really. There's just so much stuff this uh, natural disaster. Sometimes you, you can watch a, a whole village, a, a mountain land on top of a village. Just you know, the, the rain comes, and then I saw this in Nicaragua. It was a a whole mountains, and there was a little village right next to it, and it rained and it rained and it rained, and half the mountain just kind of just just turned into mud and slid right on top of the village and just just buried it. With everybody inside. Just, this wasn't that long ago. It was about maybe 15 years ago. And everybody in the whole town was just suddenly just uh, buried alive. So there's unlimited miseries like that. So we're a spirit soul. We actually shouldn't have to suffer in this way. That's why we don't like it. We don't make plans to become miserable because we're... We're not the body, but the body has all these concurrent miseries, the source of all of our miseries. And then the message that we're not the body has to come from Krishna and his devotees. And 
that's why we have uh, the Sankirtan movement of Lord Chaitanya. Because in this day and age, uh, people are uh, unaccustomed to spiritual life. Every, there's a lot of gross materialism. Just really uh, uh, dealing with just uh, constant sense gratification and trying to be, you know, happy through, you know, setting everything up. You know, like uh, a person may want to enjoy a football game. You know, so they go through a lot of work, buy a television set. Uh, it won't be good enough just to have seventy-two inches. You have to have a television set that takes up the whole wall of the house. You know, one one entire wall of the living room is filled with a television set now, you know, with a, a screen that's you know, five feet tall and eight feet wide. And then you sit there and then you have to get some kind of you know, something to drink, you know, so goes out and gets a six pack of something and then uh you know, then he wants to have something for the tongue, you know, all the different senses want something, you know. So he has to buy a a, a bowl full of Doritos and and a, another bowl full of dip, and and he set himself up, you know, on the, on the couch, you know, on the, on the uh, kashipu, and turn on the TV set, and then if you know you, you got it all planned out because you know what time your show is going to start, and then you, you flip it on, and then like, oh, yeah, here I am, wow, that's great, and then you watch the football game, you know, and uh, goes back and forth. Uh, one time I worked at the Super Bowl. I, I I have a job. I put up lights and sound for shows. So I went to the Super Bowl in Houston and spent a week working there. And there was so many... It was um, so much effort and money and time and you know put into enjoying this football game. And I got to see... Uh, watch a little bit. I saw the Atlanta Falcons make one touchdown and the rest of the time I was working I didn't have any time to watch the show that I <laughs> but I did see that uh, it was just like another football game it really wasn't very extraordinary at all it was just a game another football game in the season and then you know they call it the Super Bowl and a lot of people watch it but you know how much satisfaction can you really can you really get can you sat if you can't satisfy the soul, then you won't be really satisfied. So people are you know sunk in all kinds of different th- distractions to try to become happy, you know from going to Disneyland or watching the game to um, climbing climbing Mount Everest, you know like struggling and climbing this mountain <laughs> people do or maybe they go uh you know they 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 can't. They have extreme sports, you know, to try to you know live on the edge of danger, uh, and uh, just come close to death, but still live. You know, that's a, that's a kind of a thrill, you know, that people get. But it's not really uh, fully satisfying to the soul. Then there's the great greatest sense gratification of romance and love in the material world, and there's a lot of disappointment with that also. Especially because the body is uh, actually a source of misery. So if we want a body to be a source of pleasure, then we become a little disappointed. So this knowledge is uh, what's called transcendental knowledge, Buddha Yogam Tam, Raja Vidya, the most confidential knowledge. 
I was I was thinking, well, what's this confidential knowledge? You know, there's that book, Roger Vidya, the, Mo- the Secret of All Secrets. I thought, wow, Secret of All Secrets. This is really exciting. You know, like, wow, it's 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 top secret and it's classified, but you but I get to have access to it. Wow, what is the big secret? And then I looked inside the book, and this big secret was. You're not the body. You're a spirit soul. I thought, well, why is Krishna called this the most confidential knowledge? This is kind of a, this is sort of a basic thing. But actually, it's a great mystery. And most people don't know it. And even if we hear about it, you know, some say the soul is amazing, you know, some say, some hear about the soul and they can't understand it at all. Krishna says, you know, so we're like that. Out of many millions of people, only one may strive for perfection and to understand this knowledge. And out of those many millions, only maybe one will be able to take to it, you know. So that's the nature of transcendental knowledge. It's it, We call it a confidential, a big secret of all secrets. It's just because people just can't get it. It's not that it's not printed or or that it's hard hard to find or even that it's uh, like when I, I used to be in the Air Force I did a enlistment in the Air Force and I used to get these uh, confidential uh, top top secret bulletins you know, that I used to kind of find pretty interesting reading <laughs> uh, one thing I noticed is that all the secret most of the secrets that they were keeping was just trying to keep secrets from the American public Rather than you know secrets from the enemy, that lying to the people was the was very common for the government. You know. So the uh, knowledge that we have is the truth, the absolute truth, that we're spirit soul, we're part and parcel of Krishna. All the living entities are not the body; we're part and parcel of Krishna. We belong in the service of Srimati Radharani and Kalachanji. Um, so. By getting a glimpse of this transcendental knowledge through the mercy of someone like Jesus Christ or Srila Prabhupada or Srila Prabhupada's disciples, like Hanuman Prashak Swami, he's, uh, these are people that get, are, have dedicated their lives to absorbing transcendental knowledge, acting in, in Krishna consciousness, and giving it to others. So, that's the savior of the world. We um, have the Lord Chaitanya, who's the avatar of Krishna, who's the who's come in this stage, this Kali Yuga, to give us a very special method of God realization that doesn't depend on coming to the temple. It doesn't depend on performing huge sacrifices and asamata sacrifices or even great... Uh, austerities and self-control. We're given this uh, prime benediction of humanity at large, the chanting of Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. That first Sunday feast that I went to, I, I, I started chanting. Well, first I first heard the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra from George Harrison, you know, like a lot of Americans. Uh, we got the mercy of being preached to by Prabhupada's 
representative, uh, George Harrison from the Beatles, Hari's son. And he chanted Hare Krishna mantra on his song, uh, My Sweet Lord. You know, people are still playing that song. That's, you, I, I was in the 7-Eleven getting gas, and that song was on the radio, uh, on the, was playing at the 7-Eleven. And I hear this, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. That's really purifying. That purifies the atmosphere by this holy name of Krishna. And um, George Harrison, he put, he made a concert for Bangladesh. To, to, he had a Bengali friend, Rabbi Shankar. And George Harrison worked with the devotees in Mayapur and UNICEF, which is an organization that takes money and uses it for uh, feeding people. And he, he uh, made a deal that he would put a concert on and then the, the money from the concert would go to, to help, uh, help ISKCON Food for Life feed the people in Mayapur who had come running over from the war. There was a war between Bangladesh and India. And he had a lot of refugees, which happens whenever there's war. You know, you always have food shortages and, and, uh, people are displaced and homeless and, and they're called refugees. You know, they, everybody's killing bombings, bombs and dropping and bullets flying everywhere. So they just run away and they come to Mayapur because as soon as you cross the border of Bangladesh into India, you're in Mayapur. You come in the right spot. So, George Harrison got together all his best musicians and put on this concert. Uh, it started off with Rabbi Shankar playing a sitar. I, I, so I got to see Indian music. I, my friends and I, we went to this show. The concert became a movie, and the movie was playing in all the theaters around 1972. So I went to this movie. We went to the movie theater just to see a movie, and we had this amazing... Uh, Life-changing experience, you know, by this by this film. First, Rabbi Shankar was was uh, playing sitar, and he was just amazing. I, was just, I just, you know, I'd seen people play guitar, but I'd never seen anybody play the play guitar like the way he played that sitar. He was so fast, and there was this sound from the tabla that went whoop, whoop. And I was sitting in the audience and. In that theater, and I was listening to that, and I was trying. I was looking at the band, trying to figure out where is that sound coming from. It was from the tabla, and I thought, I don't know what that is, but whatever that that instrument is, I'm going to find out what it is, and I'm going to learn how to play it. I was 14 at the time, and <laughs> actually, I ended up learning how to play madunga and making that sound with the whoop whoop sound. I'll show you how to play that if you want me to learn, teach you how to make that. It's, it's, you kind of you hit the top of the drum, boom, and then push with your the bottom part of your thumb, and then it goes whoop. So I learned how to make that sound, you know, that that instrument. And uh, George, after Rabbi Shankar, George Harrison gets up to the sta- gets on the stage. He had this beautiful white suit on, the bright red silk shirt, and a tie. He was really informed, and then he got, he leans up to the microphone. We're all like waiting, you know, what's, what's he gonna say? Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. 
Hare Krishna. I, I sat there. I, I was, this is the first time I ever heard that phrase, you know. Um, actually, I'd heard it, but I never knew that I'd heard it, you know. It was subtly, Ganasakriti, it was put into my mind through the, George Harrison's Hare Krishna song. But I, I, I'd never, I just never knew that I'd heard it, you know. And when he said Hare Krishna, I just, I was just simply stunned. And I, I went home from that, and the, and the whole night I was thinking, Hare Krishna, what? Hare Krishna. I was, try, I was trying to put the words, there's something about, like, why can't I quit saying this? You know, <laughs> Hare Krishna. What is that? And then I, um, so I was, and I was looking at the card, and I was re- and I read the whole mantra, you know, because the devotee gave me this card, you know, so Hari Krishna, Hari Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hari Hari, Hari Rama, Hari Rama, Rama Rama, Hari Hari. That that mantra, you can say it again and again, you know. I mean, I've been that started. Uh, that was 1972, so that's almost 50. That's 49 years, I guess, right? Since I heard the Hari Krishna mantra, and I keep on chanting it. There's nothing else that. You, that I, I've done that you never get tired of. So how can, how is it that we chant Hare Krishna? I remember my first trip to India, I, I saw people that were old that were chanting Hare Krishna. They obviously been chanting Hare Krishna for, for many years, you know, a long time. So I, I was impressed. I was in Vrindavan and I saw these old temples and I realized that this is when I, I guess I was 17, first time I went to Vrindavan. And I saw old people chanting Hare Krishna because, you know, in ISKCON we'd only had young people and we didn't really have any Indians involved back then. So when I went to India, I saw that this isn't something, you know, some kind of uh, new religion. This is something that people have been doing for thousands of years and, and, and it's very sustainable. So that's the... Uh, process that we have this in this day and age is just chanting the Maha Mantra, chanting Hare Krishna, hearing the Srimad Bhagavatam, so we get transcendental knowledge, Srimad Prabhupada's books, Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam, and we should try to get involved in trying to spread Krishna consciousness somehow. If you want to get Krishna, you have to give Krishna. It's often said, uh, I went out yesterday with Basha Ghosh Prabhu and his good wife, Mrs. Ghosh, at the El Rancho up where I, in my neighborhood, up in McKinney, to do book distribution. We went out, and uh, 18 people bought Prabhupada's books off of us. It was really ecstatic. And we had the mantra card. This is something I learned from um, Vaisheshika Prabhu a few years ago. Well, it's getting to be like 10 years ago. But he started something that would, when you sell, after you sell somebody Prabhupada's books, you give them the mantra card. So this is a mantra card, just like the little mantra card that I came to Iskon Portland with. This simple thing just says the Hare Krishna Maha mantra on one side, and on the other side it has the directions to the temple and the website. So whenever uh, somebody would buy a book, then I always give them one of, pro- one of these little mantra cards and ask them to chant and see what happens. And what's interesting is that young people chant the best. Um, people under 15, for some reason, their their heads are more clear. Uh, older people, they, ha- they have a harder time chanting the Hare Krishna mantra first time around. They can't pronounce it. They look they look at it and they say Hare Krishna or 
Christian or, you know, Hare Christmas, they just can't, it's hard for them, you know, if it's hard to teach an old dog something new. And, but I, then I give the mantra card to their kids and, and like, a, you know, a 10 year old, he'll be able to look at that and, and just have the clarity to read it. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So, uh, Jason, he gave me a whole bunch of mantra cards that I, um, really feel indebted to him for that because I want, I like to give the mantra card to everybody. You know, I, I have to get money for the books. I can't get, be giving out free books. It's, uh, counterproductive because the books don't get paid for and then people don't really appreciate the books either if they get them for free. So, I, I can get the mantra card for free. So then yesterday, this one family, this lady had five kids, and uh, so her and her husband, and, and they all go to the all go to the store together, <laughs> and going to the grocery store is like a big thing, you know. If you got five kids, and you know, you, so it's seven people, you know, have to manage to <laughs> coordinate to get to the store and back. So they were just put. The best time, uh, if you're working in a parking lot, the best time to approach somebody is right when they get to the car and they're on, they get the door open and get the, the first of the groceries into the car. That's a good time to talk to them. Uh, after they get inside the car and they're going away, that's too late. You don't want to approach somebody before they're done shopping because that's, you know, they're not done shopping. So we gave the book to them and they, Gave me a five dollar bill for a nice book, Karma la Justicia Infallible, which means karma is the infallible justice. And then uh, I gave a, a little mantra card to every every one of the kids, and I said, "Okay, we're going to have like a little sing along, boys and girls. Everybody, uh, nosotros cantamos uh, contigo. We're all going to chant together now." And those kids recited the maha mantra like 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 professional you know like they were uh, they've been chanting for a long time you know they were able to read the read the mantra so and and and, and enunciate it so clearly you know and the parents didn't do as well there's something kind of like the innocence of a child you know that that helps them uh, and uh, take to Christian consciousness very easily you know like just like you brought your son to the to the temple today, right? And he's all right with it. And, you know, he's, he, and uh, you know, dad wants me to come along and do something. You, know? you get older, you get you, you you become more sophisticated, you know, and you feel like you're making your own decisions, and you know, nobody tells me what to do, and that kind of thing. That attitude is, doesn't help us in Christian consciousness. Uh, uh, having a, a child's sort of faith. You know, how children actually have a lot of faith. They're up for anything new, you know. They're curious and uh, somewhat innocent compared to, you know, they haven't had a chance to really degrade themselves in life. <laughs> so, in this way, they, we spread the chanting of this Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. It's, get out. We have the Hare Nam program. I, there's a devotee that used to do Hare Nam last, last summer on Saturday nights. Oh, that was you, yeah, Nandabraja. And he might start that again, I don't know. But that's a great way to spread the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. Lord Chaitanya's program was just going out and chanting in public, having kirtan. 
And then uh, Lord Nityananda and Haridas Thakur showed us how to do Sankirtan by going door to door and just simply asking people to chant the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. And then uh, the six Goswamis, they compiled transcendental literatures. And Srinivasacharya, he uh, started book distribution. And he took the books that the, written by the six Goswamis and uh, re- reprinted them and, and uh, took them took them to, back to Bengal and Mayapur, and they, and they started book distribution, Sankirtan. Chanting Hare Krishna, Mahamantra, book distribution, and, of course, Prashadam distribution, which is uh, part of every festival. So... Today we we read about Maharaj Parikit, a great devotee of the Lord. He's uh, his mother's trying to protect him. He's a, a great king. He's one of the last last of the great kings in Kali Yuga that really cares about the citizens and that's righteous in his own behavior. That's that's not doesn't take advantage of his political office just for profit and gain, but actually cares about the citizens. Actually wants to help elevate people and give them goal of life, have a happy life, and that's the uh, project that we have here in the International Society for Christian Consciousness, Radhakala Chanji Dham, Mandir, Srila Prabhupada came here, uh, he installed his deities, Shishi Radhakala Chanji, he also installed uh, Gorni Thai, personally, and uh, we have this facility for Chanting Hare Krishna, people can come, hear Srimad Bhagavatam, take prasadam, chant the holy names, worship Radhakala Chanchi. And it's a ecstatic, it's a blissful, happy atmosphere. That, that That's why we, we, all, we all gathered here today in the name of the Lord. Hare Krishna. Do you have any comments or questions? We're doing Sankirtan in Dallas, yeah. Actually, McKinney. But he asked, it, where am I doing Sankirtan? Well, that's a good question because we should all uh, feel like we can go out and book, do, that's book distribution. We want to know where to go. I personally go to parking lots because... I used to be on the Radhadamadar party, and that's how I was taught to sell books. That you wait, you wait till somebody comes out of a store, and you go up to them and maybe even help them with the groceries, and talk to them, become friends with them. You know, you should. Uh, Vaisheshika, he put it in a kind of a one-two-three thing. He's our reincarnation of book distribution, and he has some disciples here in this community. Vaisheshika Prabhu, uh, he had the he was on the Radhadamadar party, and he he never gave up the mood that we acquired during that time of a book distribution of being a Sankirtan man. And he's taught people how to sell books through a one, two, three. Basically, you have to get some books, and then you have to show some books, and then you sell some books. Vaisheshika Kapoor was saying that, you know, anywhere that you go out and show books, you have a tendency to sell books. Uh, we sell some books right here in this hallway because the books are shown. 
they're showing to people. Right? If you show books, you have a nice display. And then there's a donation box there, and there's prices on the books. And people on an honor system, they put money in the box, and then they buy books. So you got to show the books, and then people will buy the books. You sell the books. You know? Don't be afraid to ask money for these books. My first, when I got to the temple, I was telling you, my first Sunday feast, I was sold three books. <coughs> there was a devotee named Mahi Bharata, really nice devotee, uh, African-American fellow that had a real interest in reading Prabhupada's books. Uh, he was the first devotee I met that had actually read all of, all of the books that had been printed so far, cover to cover, a few times. He just had a really good knack for reading Prabhupada's books and giving great classes on them. And he was telling me about how I should have some books. So he sold me a Bhagavad Gita and a Sri Shapanishad, the Perfection of Yoga, and Krishna book. So I took those books home and tried to and tried to figure them out. The uh, Bhagavad Gita was just I didn't get anywhere with that. Of course, I like most people, I tried to read from the first chapter. You know, I'd never heard the word Mahabharata, so trying to you know Sanjaya Sanjaya's there and he's giving you know he's got the TV on and I and he's telling Dhritarashtra what was going on about. And I was like, wow, I don't know what's going on here. So I closed that book, and then I uh, opened up the Krishna book. And right away with Krishna book, you know, I, I'm running into words that like don't have any vowels, like the word Dhritarashtra. It doesn't. You look at the whole word, and it doesn't have any vowels. It's D H R T. <laughs> so I couldn't really read that. So I closed that. Shishapanishad, opened that up, and then that was a. Uh, that one I, I like. I, I was able to, the Om Pranam Ida Pranam 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 Ida Pranachate Pranasya Pranam Adaya. That the Supreme God Lord is whole and perfect and complete. And even though so many whole units emanate from Him, He remains perfectly whole in Himself. And I thought this must be this is a good description of God, because God would be like Radhakala Chanji. Expands unlimited, but Radhakala Chanji always stays in the same place. It's like a, a there's one candle that lights the other candles. That 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 was good. That was a good philosophical point that I was able to start understanding. And then I read the Perfection of Yoga, this the small little book. And this that book actually Prabhupada put it in a language that I was able to understand. You know, I was only 16, so I. Didn't really, couldn't assimilate knowledge as well as somebody who's older, you know. But the uh, perfection of yoga, how we're not the body, Prabhupada just explained it real simple, you know, that we're part and partial of Krishna. We'll become happy if we chant Hare Krishna Maha Mantra and revive our, uh, what he said, uh, what we've forgotten. This consciousness that we've forgotten, that's the first paragraph in the book Karma La Justicia in Felible. Is that we're trying to revive people with the knowledge, you know, of, of what they've forgotten. So, book distribution is uh, 
the method that Srila Prabhupada gave us to help spread this this message of Krishna consciousness along with the, the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. I think uh, probably the easiest way for somebody to go out and sell books, if you're looking for a spot or a location and you don't have a table and something set up like that, it's just to go door to door. Vijay uh, told me that Prabhupada said to go door to door about 90 times. Uh, that's a that's a painless way to sell Prabhupada's books. It's, one thing is completely legal. You know, we have a, a permit to sell Prabhupada's books in, in Dallas. If you want to go out and sell them, that's there's a, a legal permit that allows you to do that in any public place. The problem with the parking lots or shopping malls is those are actually uh, privately owned. So if if you can't get in that kind of guerrilla mood, you know, of slipping around selling Prabhupada's books and keeping one eye out, one eye out for the security guard, then uh, you might want to do try door to door, door to door. You don't sell quite as many books because you know things don't move as fast as a as a shopping center. But anybody can do it. You just knock on the, you just get some Prabhupada's books and maybe and some mantra cards. You knock on a door. People come to the door and you introduce yourself. You ask them to introduce themselves and ask a little bit about them and then you hand them one of Prabhupada's books and then ask, uh, tell them a little bit about the book and then ask for a donation. And then people, if they want the book, they'll give you a donation. And then uh, I give a book to everybody who gives a donation, personally. doesn't matter what the donation is. Even though I don't give out free books, I find that it, it's just a waste to give away free books. And if they want it, they'll they'll, they'll pay for it. I like I I bought my first books. I think it it would have been a it would not have been as nice of an experience if if the if the devotee had given me the books for free. Then I would have felt like there was something wrong with it. Uh, I know that like Jehovah's Witnesses, for instance. Uh, I have some relatives who are Jehovah's Witnesses, and they like to distribute their literature, and they have a thing about giving it out for free. And the result of that is that a lot of people don't take it very seriously. I, 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 I had to pay for those books. I paid $20. That was a lot of money in 1974. And I appreciated the books, I think, much more than if they'd been given for free. So I think it's very important that people uh, get give a donation for Prabhupada's books, and then they receive that book and they invite them to the temple. So... That's the one, two, three. Then you get more books, you know. You see, it goes in a circle. Kind of like recycling. You, know, you get books, you show books, you sell books. Then you have some money, so you can get some more books. Hare Krishna. So we'll end there. And greet this family. Thank you very much for coming. Well, you have, pardon me? Okay, so since you don't have the microphone, I'll repeat. Is it comment? What's your name, Prabhu? Subhuti Roy. Roy was saying that he has a friend in Mayapur that sells 100 books a day. Okay.
आपने बांग्ला बोला फ्रॉम रशिया ओके Okay, so you have a friend in Russia, a Russian friend who sells a hundred books a day. Okay. Okay. How would that person get to America? He's saying that we, Sabudi Roy is saying we should bring their friend from Sankatan friend from Russia over here to America. <laughs> That's a nice idea, but since uh. Go, traveling from one country to another isn't very easy. It never has been, but it's really hard now. So, uh, thank you for that. Uh, so you're from Russia. Well, Russia is uh, a great example of a Sankraton, Sankraton country. Uh, I hope I'm not going on too long, but you know there there is a. a fa- a Sankraton festival in Russia that I attended one time. And they uh, had a giveaway of, of, of a brand new 10th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam that had just been printed in Russia, and it was the grand prize for somebody with the best Sankraton story. And the devotees in Russia were trained by uh, Harikesh Prabhu in the beginning. Uh, one thing about Harikesh I have to glorify is that he's really understood Prabhupada's uh, mission of book distribution. He uh, opened up the North European BBT and he printed Prabhupada's books in all the different uh, Soviet languages uh, the, of the Soviet Socialist Republic, USSR. And he was able to print books in all kinds of... 20, he had Bhagavad Gita in 26 different languages like uh, Uzbekistan and uh, Turkmenistan. I mean, those are languages that a lot of people don't speak, you know. You're from Tajikistan. So he had books in Tajikistan language. Mm -hmm. So they had a, so they have a lot of book distribution in in Russia. Really, Prabhupada's books have been printed there. There's hundreds of thousands of devotees on Sankratan. It's pretty amazing. If you get a chance to go to Russia, I recommend it. So the prize was uh, the tenth candle Shimad Bhagavatam, and the story that won the prize was uh, a devotee came across the uh, was doing Sankirtan, and he came across the head of the Russian mafia, which is a pretty big position, because after the communism thing washed out, then the the mafia stepped in to fill the vacuum. So. This man was a big man, and uh, he was a big criminal, actually. You know, it's a, yeah, organized crime. So, well, so the, the man uh, took the book, and he looked at and the devotee was telling him about it, you know. So he, 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 t- he bought a Krishna book, and he said that, you know, these, there's three cars behind me. I want you to go to the window and tell them that Ivan said that they have to each, they all have to buy the the book, you know, that, and, they, and they'll know. So the devotee did it, and uh, and sure enough, that every everybody in every one of the cars behind him bought bought the Krishna book. So he sold the Krishna book to everybody in the first car, second car, third car, 
So he asked the, the man, that, why did you, uh, what is it you like about this book so much, you know, that you bought it and you have all your people buy it? He said that, well, this is my kind of God. He looks at the picture and he goes, first of all, I see a picture of Krishna. He sees Krishna with the Rasa dance. He goes, here's, here's, here's my kind of God. Here, he's surrounded by all these beautiful women. And then he, he shows the, he looks at the picture of Krishna stealing the butter and, and, and yogurt with his brother. And he goes, and here he is stealing. And then he looked at the pictures, showed the picture of Krishna killing the demons, and he goes, and then if anybody gets in his way, he takes them out. So this is my God, and uh, <laughs> you know, this is the God for all my friends, too. So in this way, the head of the mafia, he bought a book, and he sold many Krishna books. So that's a happy story. Srimad Bhagavatam distribution in, in Russia. That's who Okay. Hare Krishna. He's been eating pajals. Spasiva. That's for Daniel. Hare Krishna.